Hey everyone, it's Heather. I'm so excited about our new resource for single women, Authentically You. One of the most challenging parts of life is navigating relationships. This can be especially true for women who have been tainted by negative sexual experiences and mistakes from their past, or when the struggle with porn and masturbation takes hold and won't let go. This leaves them feeling distant from God, separated by the weight of shame and regret. If this is you, you're not alone. Authentically You was written specifically for single and college-aged women, those who are on the working career path and those who are in college. This 20-lesson curriculum is easily adaptable to a busy work schedule or a college semester system. Through this group experience, you'll explore how your past pain and trauma contribute to distorted beliefs and an unhealthy thought life. You'll uncover the role your family of origin plays in your past and current behaviors and address the issues that perpetuate compulsive and addictive patterns. And through the use of weekly exercises, strategic tools, and self-care focus, you'll learn how to live in health, how to live as your true, authentic self. I know God has a plan for your life to bring you to a place of health and wholeness. If you allow it, God will do amazing things in you and through you. So pre-order today, Authentically You. Go to puredesire.org A-Y. That's puredesire.org A-Y. Welcome to the Pure Desire Podcast, where we partner with you to bring hope and freedom on your journey to purity. Hey there, I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and we are so thankful you're taking time out of your day to hang out with us. Today, I am here with Nick Stumbo. Greetings. And Brian Roberts. Hey, everybody. All right, and today we're going to talk about how to develop a healthy and growing Pure Desire Ministry at your church. So guys, let's just jump right in. You okay with that? Let's do it. Cool. So guys, it's always exciting when your Pure Desire groups have started and they're growing, you're getting more traction, but there are times when size in the group can become an issue where you got too many people in a group. So let me just ask you guys, what's a reasonable size group and why is that size uh, the one that we want people to go for? I would say, you know, really a good group size is four to six guys. Um, I've done a group of three. Uh, it works. Two is not a good idea because it's just kind of, again, you and that one other person and, and you might be off. Uh, but four to six is a really great size. Um, four is optimal because you've got plenty of different perspectives and uh, there's enough time uh, for everyone to share. I've noticed when the group um, gets to six people, you're usually, especially in some of the longer assignments, stretching towards the end to just get the you know commitment to change to, okay, guys, let's hustle. There's just too many times it feels like that's happening. Um, but that's what I would say. I think a lot of churches find that if you start with four, you you may be in danger of dropping down to two or three because a little bit of attrition up front is pretty common in groups just you get the guy that it ends up not working out for his schedule or he gets a couple weeks in and just gets overwhelmed and feels like i'm not ready and flakes out so when you look at starting if you have five or six even seven to start you can kind of count on one or two probably aren't going to be in for the long haul but that will put you in the ideal size because as brian said when you get down to two or three you can still have great conversations at that level, but I think what a lot of churches find is it's hard to maintain the momentum. Yeah. Because if you do have a guy that there are legit reasons someone might have to miss, they're out of town for work, they're deathly ill, you know, they got sick kids at home and they need to be there. Uh, and then if, if they miss, the other two are like, well, let's just meet next week. And pretty soon you're only meeting a couple of times a month. And 
the group just kind of uh, can kind of stall out. So when you start to have a, a few more when you start uh, is great. And if, if it ends up staying large, then I think um, you kind of look into what are some ways that we can handle a larger group. Well, let me let me touch on that a little bit. So I, my experience with the people in my groups have been usually at first you feel like four, five, six guys or girls is is like not enough. Like you feel like, how are we going to fill two hours with all of this? But the more that you go through group and the more that you go through the content, you find out you have a lot more to share than you originally thought. And so you get to the point where it's like, man, it would be nice if we had four guys instead of six um, or, you know, or same thing with the ladies. So I think that you end up seeing that it's okay that you have, you know, only a small amount of, of guys or gals in group because conversation gets deeper uh, more self-awareness happens and that, I think that's the beauty of the group so protecting that group size is pretty important let's talk about when groups are getting large or you've, you just have too many people that want to be in is splitting groups a thing or maybe you'd call it multiplying or dividing you know whatever mathematical term you want to use uh, but when and how should group leaders consider splitting a group so I, I know for me uh, we've run into this um, a couple of for a couple of different reasons one before the Conquer series was out, this was a problem because you would have people who are like, I got to get in a group. And you're like, well, you got to wait 10 months. We just started. You know, nobody, nobody wants to have that conversation. Um, so one of the reasons that I've seen that groups grow is because the church needs to, you know, needs to facilitate someone's healing. Um, so one thing I would say kind of right off the bat that every group should be considering, um, you might have to work with adding people for a short amount of time, but the sooner your church can get in a rhythm of having consistent conquer groups. Like uh, I know my church, we do them four times a year. So it's always great to just tell a guy like, oh, I, yeah, I, I know you're really struggling right now. We've got a group starting and, it, and it's never more than like three or four weeks away or we've just started a group hop in. Uh, and by having the conquer series right up front, I've noticed that reduces the frequency of which you'll have to change group size later on because people who go through the conquer series they either say, yeah, I got something out of it, but I'm not really, that's not me. I'm not ready to sign up for a year commitment to be in a, in a small yeah. group. Or they're like, wow, this is me. I'm committed. Here we go. And, and so that reduces the, the fallout, I think, um, and also gives a place for people to go instead of going to one of our, you know, seven pillars, eight pillars, Betrayal and Beyond groups that are going to go for 10 months to 12 months. And so I think that's one piece that, we used to have to deal with it that I don't think we have to deal with as much if you're if you're set up right. In the event, though, that we do um, either split a group because we're, we don't have any other place for someone to go and they really need help. I think one of the key pieces I've recognized is um, this is why co-leaders are so important. Every time I've started a group, I usually tap one or two guys within the first week to say, I'd like you to consider co-leading. And I've talked to everybody about the fact that for your healing, you, you should consider leading a group, you know, after you've seen some variety in the, in the next time around or maybe two times yeah. around. And so every time I've run into a situation where we have to split a group, um, I usually have a co-leader ready to go and say, okay, do you, you know, you've, you've co-led for a while, right. we've alternated back and forth, right. or if I've been out, you're taking over, you feel comfortable. And as soon as that split happens, I'm telling that co-leader, okay, I've got another co-leader I'm developing. You need to find somebody in your group too. So I think the co-leader is a big element of if you're ending up having to split a group, um, doing it successfully. 
And you would say, you know, you guys would say that splitting a group, the way it's communicated to group members is important, right? Sure. Because it's not just like, hey, we don't want you to be a part of the group. Right. It's for the overall health of the group's ministry and the groups moving forward, right? Yeah. You never go into, okay, um, the cool guys over here, the not so great people. <laughs> we, we always talked about like when, when we saw, when we had a group of six or it usually was, we got to seven. It was like, okay, we have enough to have four and three. We would, we would say something like, man, we just keep running out of time. My co-leader and I would communicate that and ask the guys how they felt. And most of the time they said, we really feel pressured. And so that was like, well, what do you guys think about you know, separating into two groups and my co-leader here will take half of you guys. And, and that was usually a process of like two or three weeks for them to kind of feel good about it. And then, and then it was like, yeah, let's do that. Okay. Well, I know for some churches, when we talk about splitting groups, they don't um, necessarily split into two groups, but they'll kind of function as two groups that still meet together. So in this scenario, what happens is say you start with a group of six guys and it's running along and then another guy or two, comes along that they, they need to get into a group now and there's really no other options and to wait for the group you're currently leading to finish would be six, seven months away. So you incorporate those new people in and everyone can still do the group check-in together because if a group is staying focused, reading what they wrote, not just ad-libbing about their week, you can get through that group check-in in a you know fairly decent amount of time and stick into that 40-minute opening window. And then the group meets as two separate groups for the discussion time so that the guys that all started together, maybe they're up in pillar three. And then you have a couple of new guys that are back on pillar one. And so this is where a, the leader would likely go with the newer guys to help them be, yeah. get up to speed. While the guys that have already been in the group, by that point, the co-leader can lead that. Or yeah. maybe the guys are uh, at a place they're able to just kind of self-lead one another. And so for the discussion time, you're in two separate groups. And often this is at a church where they're in two classrooms side by side or something like that. And then everyone can come back together for the end to do a commitment to change and schedule some phone calls, that sort of thing. So it is a way that that if you have kind of one group time and one main leader and you don't know how to start an entirely separate group, you kind of keep them tracking together, but allow people to be on different lessons. And that just does remind, you know, one thing we don't recommend is that in one group, you have guys on different lessons sharing from those different lessons because it just becomes, um, it becomes harder to build community when one guy is sharing answers from homework that another guy hasn't even looked at yet. Right. And how do I not check out? And so much of our learning and growth comes from hearing what others have said about the same questions. And so that's why it is important to consider if we have people that need to get into a group or, or want to join how can we incorporate them either into a group that maybe does two separate lesson times or how do we become two groups? So um, primarily group split over size, I, I think that's um, something you want to consider because as we said in the first question, if if you're routinely not having time for everyone to answer their questions to share their homework, that's a problem because that really is what creates transformation. And so you don't ever want to be in a situation where you've got nine, 10 guys, and you're either skipping lots of the questions because then that devalues their work or where it's just taking you weeks and weeks to get through a lesson because then going through the workbook is going to take you years. And it's just hard to maintain momentum and focus if it's taking that long to get through the material. Yeah. So we've talked about this idea of co-leaders and leaders in groups. Um, You know, one of the questions we get a lot is, 
how do I know who should lead a group? And I know there's a lot of factors that go into it, you know, their sobriety and, and the seasonal life that they're in. What would you guys say is some real key indicators that someone within um, in, a, in a small group that uh, a pure desire small group is ready to lead or is ready to start, yeah. you know, co-leading? I think the first thing that I tend to look for is just someone who's available and who wants to be involved. Um, that was usually the first thing that I saw, you know, I had the opportunity to, to find a couple, about three or four guys who are willing to lead, but just someone who's available and who's willing to take on, you know, the role of facilitator. So I think those two things are a great starting point when looking for somebody. Yeah. When I look at a pure desire group, it's interesting because the model of group leaders may be in some ways the opposite of what we look for when you're trying to have a Bible study leader that when someone leads a Bible study, they tend to be talkative, knowledgeable, and they can just kind of teach some of the scripture and the Bible study can become this combination of teacher-student relationship where in a peer desire group, it is so essential that the leader is a good listener, that they're really mm -hmm. there to facilitate yeah. other people talking and yeah. sharing. And so that takes a pretty humble person who's not trying to just air their own ideas, but really is trying to draw out from group members what's going on in their lives. So yep. I think of a good listener, someone who's humble. Um, and really what I look for is self-awareness, that they are at a point of, they recognize their issues. They're not still blind to their patterns of relapse. Um, they're not arrogant about or prideful that oh, I've got this figured out and I don't really need this group, but I'm here to help you guys. Yeah. So just that sense of they're in touch with their stuff uh, because then if they're leading, they're going to lead out of that place of humility and self-awareness and not feel like, Oh, now that I'm a leader, I have to have it all together. Um, and then obviously in a pure desire group, you do want to look for someone that is beginning to exhibit a track record of sobriety. Yeah. So we say the idea would be that they've had six months or more uh, without relapse because that's really showing that brain change is taking place in their life, not just a trying harder approach. Um, and in some situations, uh, a church may not have any other co-leader. You know, if you're just starting groups and you've got a leader who's healthy, you may not have anyone in the group that's at six months of sobriety. And so I, I think for a co-leader to look for a guy that is, they're starting to take some of the right steps. Maybe they're struggling once in a while with relapse, but they're handling it appropriately by being honest, by yeah. taking steps to correct their behavior, to you know go through some natural consequences so they learn. When you see that happening and you, and you look at that person and think, and think, wow, they get it. Yeah, They understand what this takes. Yeah. Well, th then they're ready to start co-leading. Yeah. Um, and then hopefully by the time they're ready to lead, they will have that six months of sobriety established. So there's not there's not qualifications or education that we require from guys to be leaders. It's really just some track record of health and some self-awareness and probably some time in a group would be nice before you For tap sure. a guy yeah. to lead. Yeah. You know, Nick, when you were talking about that exhibiting sobriety and also um, a track record of being vulnerable, um, one of the things that we recognized in my groups, it was really helpful. We, it was, it wasn't just helpful. It was like necessary is that, um, the, the co-leader and the leader had to have a really good working safety plan in place. Like they knew if relapse happened, we weren't, we weren't going to sit here and it, it kind of balances those things. Cause you're not going to sit here and say, well, I'm never going to relapse again. So I'm a leader. Here we go. Cause it just, you know, <laughs> opposite of not being yeah. prideful and humble, that's, that's but we all had a safety plan of like, as a leader, not just, I should have one as a husband, um, or, you know, one for myself, if I'm single, what, what does this mean for me personally? But as a leader, there were elements of our safety plan that went into play. And one of the, one of the most basic ones was if I had a relapse, I'm not leading this week because and it, it might be more than that too, depending on the, 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 you know, the relapse, but 
at minimum this week, I'm not leading because clearly I've missed something and my focus can't be on facilitating the group. My focus needs to be on, you know, how did I get to where I was at? There were clearly a whole bunch of steps. And we, you know, we talked about that in the, in the faster scale um, and, and the three circles podcasts. Um, if you haven't heard those, definitely listen to those. But, but as leaders, I think it's so important to have that um, safety plan in place. So there's not that sense to go, okay, I'm going to group. I've had a rough week. I've made some poor choices. Maybe I shouldn't talk about that. Maybe I should just lead the group. That's what's most important. It's like, yeah. no, no, no. We all know our plan. We're yeah. going to implement it. Absolutely. And, yeah. and nobody felt bad about saying, I had a bad week. I'm activating my safety plan. And the rest of the leaders were like, cool, let's, let's support you. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I really love about Pure Desire's approach to groups and how they're led is it, it's really not about a trained facilitator, someone who's gone to a conference. I mean, we have conferences and we hope people do get trained totally. so they can do uh, even better, be more effective. But really, the group leader is the one who's willing to let God use them and is there participating fully with the group. Mm. And so when, when you see some of the just they're getting a few things in order in their life and, and they're starting to say, I, I just want to help other men or I want to, if it's a gal, I want to help other women. I want to use my story to encourage them. Then you go, oh, that's a leader. And at the end of the day, pure desire, we defer to the local church because this is their ministry. And yeah. so that's the other thing to keep in mind is whatever a local church has in place for leadership, they should follow that with group leaders. If, if they have some requirements of you know, water baptism or being a member or whatever it is in their community, their context, that should apply to pure desire group leadership yeah. for their church requirements. But then uh, from pure desire side, it's just the things we've been talking about. Are they humble, self-aware, establishing yeah. some sobriety in their life? Yeah. Um, and, and in that case, you usually find you have a, a large pool of people that qualify to be leaders. That was like the pool and water and baptism. Nice. That was a nice, you just pulled um, all that stuff together. It was my group you. leaders. I, I tried to sprinkle them. I didn't believe in baptism. From immersion. Hey, I wanted... every church context is different. <laughs> I'm Pentecostal. We just lay hands on everybody. Oh, there you go. Perfect. All right. So let's talk about this. Um, once you've identified potential leaders, you know, a church maybe is starting to run some groups and they've now got this small team of people that are willing to lead or co-lead. Um, what does it look like to help develop those group leaders? What have you guys seen or used that helps someone go from the place of just being a group member to having a vision to be a co-leader or a leader? I can tell you in my experience, uh, probably one of the most effective things um, I saw happen was our group leaders would meet a half hour before group. Uh, we would do a very quick check-in um, and it helped us also you know, move the check-in process along faster because we were already in that mindset. We were kind of working through our own things. And as a group leader, it's great to, to sort of pre-sort that, if you will, so that you can be very present and aware when other people, not that you're not going to learn anything, you know, going into group and, and communicating again, but we would do a quick check-in, kind of, kind of gauge like, okay, am I, am I able to not only think about my things that I'm working on this week, but also just be present for the the guys that or gals that are coming to group and you know think about the lesson and where we're going. And, and the yeah. other thing we would do too is frequently we would introduce some other. Um, some other curriculum, like we would watch um, some YouTube videos from Brene Brown, or we would watch um, some, uh, you know, some of the um, neurochemistry of addiction. It was a great DVD if you if you haven't watched that. But just kind of reinforcing the idea of like we want to do some ongoing training, we want to do some ongoing connection. Sometimes too, we would do a um, just are you having any problems in group? 
what's going on? And, and newer leaders might be like, yeah, I've got this one guy that won't stop talking. You know, it's like, okay, well, let's, let's talk to yeah, some problem you know, solve it. good, yeah, problem solve, how we can graciously help this guy recognize what is it I need to communicate? Yeah. How do I listen to others? Um, so it was a great place to make sure that it was a good check-in to make sure the group health across all of the groups are good um, and that the leader was ready and prepared. Well, and what's interesting about my my experience with it was that I was the first person to bring Pure Desire to our church, so we didn't already have it existing. And so one of the things, once I figured out, okay, I've tapped a couple of these guys, and I had one guy in particular who I tapped to come help co-lead, um, was just just come with me. Just, you know, he was going through Conquer while I was going through it, but it was uh, just kind of watch what I'm doing um, as I'm figuring out how to lead. And it was kind of like this, you know, the shadow program where he's kind of walking alongside and then giving him opportunities to facilitate um, so he gets comfortable in that role and in that position. And then now he's, you know, that guy's the group leader at the church. You know, after I left, he just... Actually, even while I was there, I just was like, bro, you're, you're a lot better at this than I am. So just take it and like run. And then he's doing the same thing where he's pulling guys in and having them be a part of some of those leadership, you know, uh, meetings, but then also just letting guys experience what it's like to act as a group leader, even though they haven't taken that role on. Yeah. I think it's really important how you treat your co-leader that early on you want to be giving them parts of the meeting to run. And I think some of our, you know, classic leadership techniques that are in the church are, are helpful here that you think about, you know, the first week, maybe it's the faster scale. So the first week I do it, you watch and we talk about why I did some certain things. And then the second week, maybe we do it together. We kind of pair and go back and forth and then we talk about how that went. And then the third week you do it and I watch and we talk about how it went. And then the fourth week, maybe the co-leaders just doing it, they're, they're up and running. And so... Yeah kind of that idea of, of giving them pieces and not just waiting. Cause I, I think sometimes our leadership model is I do it and you watch for the whole group. And then when it's over, it's like, okay, now it's your You're turn. On your yeah. own. Right? Yeah. <laughs> They've never actually really had a chance to experience it. So yeah. if it's someone in your group that you're working with, making sure they have opportunities and then that you debrief together about what went well yep, that's or important. what didn't. Uh, and when we talk about training leaders, we do want to make sure people are aware of the tools that Pure Desire has put in place because they're tremendously valuable. So for most every group we have for seven pillars for men, betrayal and beyond for women, there's a leader's guide uh, that they should pick up, especially for new leaders, because it really provides some tips. It gives some each pillar uh, things to look for, mm. points to emphasize. And that can be in some ways like a security blanket, a feeling of, okay, I've, I've read through this. I feel more equipped. Uh, so that's a great tool. And then also we have our regional group leaders. So for every church, there is someone assigned to your area that's your first line of defense, that person who's, they've probably been a group leader for five years or more. They've seen and heard a whole lot. And you can call or email them and say, hey, here's a situation going on. Yeah. What have you done? What does Pure Desire recommend? Um, and you can find a list of those on the website. So make sure you're connecting, whether yeah. you're a leader or a co-leader or a developing leader, that you're getting that connection to our regional group leaders. And then our, our biggest uh, event is our Pure Desire University which is all about helping churches really understand how to lead groups well, um, how to help men and women find freedom. And so we find that not only is it really powerful and effective for people that just want to understand sexual addiction better, but for those that are in the first stages of leading a group, I think they probably walk away with the most material because they say routinely to us, wow, this just developed my understanding of groups so much better. I see a lot more clearly how to lead, how to help, um, because when we're going through our own journey, particularly that first time, and we're just trying to get our own life in order, 
we're not thinking about how's the group run, what's the structure. You know, the leader's taking care of that for us. We're just trying to, you know, save our lives in many cases. So when you start to think about leading that, Pure Desire University can be a really critical time to kind of get out of your own story and think about, okay, how do I help others in their story? Mm -hmm. So we host those uh, all over the country. People can look on our website, puredesire.org backslash events and find a lot more about where those are at, how they could uh, attend one. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a great way. You know, we have a lot of churches that bring a group leader and four or five co-leaders or people they're trying to develop. Yeah. And as you're there as a team, then the conversations you have in the in-between times and at night and to and from, uh, that is group training time. Yep. So yep. just to cast that vision, if, if you can get a group of your leaders to a university together, the way that that will just increase your learning, um, I think will be really exciting for you. And we see lots of group leaders go to multiple university events because they're bringing new leaders each time. And what's cool is, you know, we hear stories that those group leaders who've been four five, six times are getting just as much out of it, yeah. if not more, those those times. So, yeah, you know, the, the great thing, if you go to uh, a university, especially in your area, which I mean, makes the most sense. Some people travel a long ways because they're just like, I want to get educa edu educated. And we thank now. you for that. Thank you people, for that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, if you go to one in your area, you're going to meet other people that are doing the same kind of work at, at, at local churches in your area. And likely your RGL will be at that event, yeah. which is really cool. So you get to meet them face to face. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but definitely check out the events page, which is uh, sorry to correct, but it's forward slash events. My, my IT guy's coming mm. out. Sorry, Nick. I just. <laughs> That's a Don't great... want people to go backslash. You'll get 404 errors. That's a great transition piece. So let's just move yeah. to the next question. <laughs> okay, so guys, more often than not, um, as far as our perspective at Pure Desire, we communicate that we don't like to have the lead pastor, the head guy at a church, be the one who's leading the groups. Um, we can get into that, the reasoning behind that. But um, what should the relationship, what does a healthy relationship look like between church staff, lead guy and the peer desire group leaders that they have at the church. Yeah. When we say that a lead pastor may not be the right person to lead the group, we really mean as the lead pastor, if they're like, well, I'm, you know, I'm the spiritual leader here. Let me lead you guys through this group. That, that can be a challenging situation. Um, or if they're participating in the group as the leader, but it's their first time through and they're working on some issues in their own life. That for most men or women does create an awkward situation where it's like um, he's still working on his stuff and I'm not sure what's going on, but he's supposed to be the pastor. And so uh, we have seen staff be effective at having churches at groups in their church. I mean, I, I did that for a number of years as a lead pastor. But I think a real key was that my first group experience was somewhere else where I had the freedom to to let down my guard and kind of yeah. face my stuff. And had I tried to do that the first go around with the guys from my church because there's there wasn't that culture established yet of being real and knowing how much I could share or couldn't share I know if I'd have done that first group with my own church I'd have been a lot more guarded yeah so I, I think those are some things to keep in mind is that if, if it's a lead pastor that needs to face their own issues that um, for their confidentiality and safety that their first go around they're able to be somewhere else but then they might be the one to bring it back to their church because they are able to lead and mm -hmm. establish a group um, and then once you get a culture of grace established in your church, when you've been running groups for a while, we do have a number of churches that routinely have staff in them because it's already been created that, hey, it doesn't matter if you're staff or a member or brand new to our church or never been to church in your life. Yeah. We want you in these groups. We know how effective they are and the, you know, the shame factors being dealt with. So it's not this big secret that 
people know there's groups and we help people. And in that case, a lot of associate staff at churches I'm working with, they're in groups and it's not a problem. Um, but it just really is kind of considering as we're starting groups or where's the lead pastor at, um, do you just be careful not to um, inadvertently create real uh, hurdles or roadblocks for people trying to go through a group and uh, yeah, and worry about their pastor at the same time? I think the long-term perspective too is really valuable because you know, everybody has a role to play. Like I think about within our church, you know, like um, our lead pastor has been through um, the Pure Desire program more than once, has led groups, has been in group himself. Um, but right now that's that's really not where he's at in life. And in his role, uh, our lead pastor's role now is that of a champion. I mean, he makes a point of when we have a conquer group, he's going to be talking about on Sunday morning, you know, like this is applicable to your life. And this is about, you know, it's not about sex, mm-hmm. it's about intimacy, and it's it's not about um, addiction. It's about our inability to connect with uh, with others around us. And so if you if you are struggling, just like I was, and he shares his testimony, other people share their testimonies that, yeah. that he's worked into a sermon series, you know, the, the lead pastor really is that champion of change in creating the culture of grace in a church and communicating on a large scale, this is what this group is about. So I think that role is really important. I think there's also another really important role and relationship is that of the group leaders to the church. And Nick really, I think, communicated this well and and started this idea at the beginning of this podcast is that we're not here to implement our program in your church. This is your church's program. And, And so whatever accountability is normal within your church for a leader to have has to happen within that pure desire leadership. Uh, I would say, I, I, you know, for myself, I wanted to meet with um, our our life and family pastor at least four times a year to say, this is what groups are doing. How do we fit within the model of the church? How do we communicate mm-hmm. our message to, to everybody else so that, that we're right in step with where the church is going? Yeah, and I think that support from the lead pastor from the elder board is is essential for this to happen um when i was leading groups i wasn't the lead pastor i was on staff as a pastor but i found that i had uh, the open door policy to go in and talk to my lead pastor to talk to my elders about and not specifics not sharing specifics about what we, what was going on in group but some of the struggles we were having with the ministries but then at the same time like some of the high notes that we were seeing and people getting freedom and, and healing so I think it's really important that you have really that rapport and that relationship, whether you're on staff or whether you're just a volunteer group leader, that you have the support and the covering of your lead pastor and your elders. Absolutely. So, you know, just to come back to something you'd mentioned already, Nick, um, our RGLs or our regional group leaders are a resource. Um, can you tell us more about that program? Like, yeah, you know, you mentioned how to get a hold of them, but what's the best way to uh, communicate with them? What kind of questions are they able to answer? And then maybe another thing to touch on too is like, how how could I become a RGL? If I, if I feel like, man, I'm, I've been leading groups for a while, I've really invested in this ministry, I'd love to help other people lead groups. What, what does that process look like? Yeah, just to reiterate a couple of things I mentioned, uh, an RGL or regional group leader is someone who's been connected to Pure Desire for a while, um, primarily for their own healing first, but then helping lead groups and run the ministry in their church. Uh, they're just volunteers. They're not paid staff, and they're located across the country. And we we divide them by region so that they have a number of churches they're working directly with to coach, to train, to encourage. And so we would encourage if you've not been in touch with your RGL that 
that there is no bad time to start communicating with your regional group leader. But particularly at, at the front end of starting the ministry, the regional group leader can be a tremendous resource to understand how to start the groups, what to watch for, um, what are you know mistakes to avoid, because they've probably made some of those mistakes themselves um, and can really help you out. Uh, we mentioned that they're on the website and so all their emails are listed there. Um, and then as you reach out to them through email, I know most of our RGLs also want to share a phone number, a way you can contact them um, in person if you want to ask questions that way. And so it's really just starting out by making contact through an email and introducing yourself and starting the conversation so that they're aware of your groups. And, um, and if your groups are not on the website, that's another thing that the regional group leader may not even know you have groups. So um, that's a conversation they want to have with you because being on the website as a group isn't just about getting more people in your groups. We hear that a lot. Well, our groups are full. We wouldn't want to list them. Well, being listed on the website is more about an awareness of the, the RGL being able to contact you, um, of other churches knowing that, hey, here's another church doing what we're doing. How can we network? Um, so they'll, they'll probably talk to you about that. Uh, in terms of becoming a regional group leader, that just has a lot to do with your heart. If you want to help others, we have a pretty simple application process, and um, we do look for some experience, a track record of leading and establishing the ministry in your own church. But if, if you've been a part of that and want to say, man, we need to help more churches do this, in some sense, you're already functioning like a regional group leader. And I think that's what we look for is more who is something that's already doing the work of a regional group leader, and then let's appoint them to that position and give them more tools and um, access to more churches that they can help even more people. And I think that it's important to use the RGL as a sounding board. You don't always have to go to your lead pastor. You don't always have to go to your elder board. But a regional group leader is going to understand exactly what you're going through. They've experienced it. So using them as a sounding board, like, and you can vent to them. That, like, that is their job to be there as support and encouragement. So if you're listening to this and you're a frustrated group leader, reach out to an RGL. They'll listen to you for sure. Okay, so uh, as we're talking about this, we really, the hope is that we're trying to get to the point where we know that we're setting ourselves up for success in groups, that our groups are going to grow, they're going to maintain, they're going to be healthy. So what are some things or maybe even some practices that you guys see that end up like stunting the growth or hamstringing the ministry? Uh, what are some things that you can see kind of running into uh, roadblocks? One thing I see is when you have a church that there's only one or two people that lead groups, and sometimes it's that they fail to develop new leaders, or they're just so good at it that no one thinks they can lead it like Bill or Susie or whoever, they're like, man, they are, they've been sober for several years. They have incredible insight into my life. Like I could never do that. And so in those cases for that leader to that, they're always the person leading groups. A lot of it's on them to say, there is nothing special about me that you can't also do in these groups and then empowering people to, to start leading. So I think that's uh, one of the big things that I see. I would say the <clears throat> complementary of groups. If you don't have women's groups or if you don't have guys' yeah. groups, you'll get a guy who's, you know, most of the most of the men and women who come into our groups are married. And you'll get a guy who's um, getting sobriety, uh, getting healing, and yet the family dynamic is exactly the same. Nothing has changed. He's starting to change, but, but no other changes are happening. And if that's going on, then, uh, you know, the, the group kind of stalls. I think the um, I think the other thing too is just that idea of um, awareness of groups, like making sure that uh, more than once a year you're communicating to the general population of the church. These groups are available to you. Yeah, and I think the opening up 
your, to the uh, to the community saying like, hey, it doesn't just have to be people from our church that are coming to our groups, that being able to be open and available to other people in the area to come who maybe don't have groups at their church. I think that that is something that can help expansion yeah. as well. I think some other things we've observed that really stunt the growth of groups in a church uh, is when they deviate from the recommended way of having All of groups. The group guidelines. Yeah, there there are so many reasons that a church thinks, oh, we don't need that or, or we'll do it this way. Um, and we, we just want people to understand we haven't created a group structure to be regimented or um, to be controlling, but because it comes from years and years of understanding what doesn't work and watching things go sideways. So it's coming back to those group guidelines that are printed in the front of every workbook and asking, are we following these guidelines? And if not, why not? Because whatever you're not following will get replicated. And if, if you're not following a group guideline a little bit in one group, when you replicate a group, then it's really not going to get followed in the next group and so on. Uh, so those group guidelines, the group format of using the faster scale or group check-in, then homework, and then commitment to change, the phone calls, those aren't just, you know, side kind of practices like, oh, it's nice if you do, but okay if you don't. They're really essential to group health. And so, again, we we recognize that up front it can be a lot for maybe a leader or a church to understand and to figure it all out, but it's worth going through that learning curve so that you run groups in a way that will be effective and not just get... Um, to be honest, a little bit of its laziness, like, oh, that sounds like too much work. Let's just not do that. Well, if you make that choice, the groups aren't going to be as good. And so we want them to flourish and thrive. And we find that when churches are using the group guidelines, following the group format, uh, that things really do work because they're there for good reason. What I think Dr. Ted says, we pay the dumb tax. Yeah. Like we've Many put in times. the work for this. So yeah. So just if you trust the process. Well, uh, we've talked through a lot of ways to develop, to grow a healthy group, to develop some leaders. Uh, so as we wrap up this episode, guys, what are some final encouragement you'd give to listeners that are, that are in the middle of starting groups or trying to train up leaders? How would you encourage them in developing their peer desire ministry? I think one of the things to really be aware of is be aware of burnout. Be aware that you are not the only person that has to lead. Um, but as a group leader to be open, be honest, be vulnerable, and don't be afraid of the times that you screw up because they're going to happen. This process has been proven. It's a two to five year process for you to get healthy. So don't expect yourself because you're the leader to be the all-star Captain America in the group. Cause if you do, there's going to just be this tons of pressure that you end up putting on yourself. And I'm speaking from personal experience where, you know, when I made a mistake, and relapsed while I was in group, I realized, wow, okay, I can actually just be with these guys. I don't have to be this superhero for them. I can just be who I am and experience the healing together. And so just being being aware of that when you're getting into it, that you don't have to be Superman. Yeah, and be open to change. Uh, I think taking encouragement of other people's growth is so cool, whether that's your group members or watching other group leaders that are doing stuff and you're like, man, that is so cool. You know, let that be your focus. And like you said, if you're the only one that's making an effort, making a change in groups and, and being a positive uh, influence in that group, that's just, that's just one group. There's a, it's not much change that's going to happen. And I would give some encouragement to pastors or leaders that might be listening to say, this is a, a topic or an area that is tempting to say, okay, we dealt with that. Now let's move on and let those kind of run under the surface that when that happens um it very often those those groups just lose momentum and 
the more you can keep it in front of people and let it become part of your story, let it become part of your testimony. It's amazing how many broken people you'll reach into their lives when you're really continuing to address um, sexual addiction and the struggles we have there because every human being is a sexual being and has questions and fears and concerns about what to do with issues there. And so when we continue to have testimonies up front, we continue to promote uh, sexual health through being in a Conquer Series group or a men's group, women's group, and people hear it from up front. They hear different staff and leaders offering grace, saying change is possible. You know, sometimes in the first you know season where a church is talking about these groups, a lot of people are skeptical. They're like, yeah, right. If I tell them about my particular issue, I'm going to be blacklisted or they'll kick me out or... And there are really a lot of people that are watching what you do. And so if you're in the first iteration of your groups and you maybe feel like you didn't get much of a response, there's not many people in them, you know, don't despise small beginnings because people are watching what happens to that group. And if that group, um, you know, it's, it's confidential, so I'm not saying you can tell people all about it, but, but if you're able to stand up and say, we have a group meeting and God is working and it is so exciting. And, and these are people that are fully loved and embraced by this church. And, and they're just the first group. There's going to be many more to come. And when people hear you continue to talk about it, it starts to sink in that I think they really mean it. I think they really want to help. I think it really is safe to talk about sex or pornography or whatever in our church. Uh, So my encouragement to pastors and leaders is don't grow weary in doing good. Don't get discouraged if it starts really small. And, And if you've started well, don't let it fade into the background. Because as you continue to prioritize this, God will use it to shape your church in ways you never imagined. Because when you touch on this issue, you touch to the very core of what people are struggling with and who they are. And it's it's the ministry of the church. Um, so go at it. Let us help you. We're here to support and encourage. Um, and we'll watch together what God does through your church. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah. Brian, Nick, thanks guys for this conversation. I think this is going to be really helpful for a lot of group leaders. We hope Appreciate so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And thank you for listening to the Pure Desire podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to keep up with the podcast, please subscribe and check out our website, puredesire.org. Also, you can follow us on social media at Pure Desire PDMI. Once again, that's at Pure Desire PDMI. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pure Desire podcast. For more information, check out our website, www.puredesire.org. Check in each week for new content on the podcast, and we pray that it will help you find hope and freedom on your journey to purity. Here's what's coming up next week on the Pure Desire Podcast. Every woman that takes a breath. This is going to be one of our best resources that we've ever put out. They're wanting to be married. They're wanting to be sexual. And they're saying, what does this even look like? Is it even okay to have these discussions? I think that's one of the things that's interesting about women who struggle is that we don't take good care of ourselves. Right. We, we are the last person, and sometimes we are taking care of everybody else, but we're the last person that we take care of. And that, I think, is my favorite part about these resources.